Well, I don't know about you, but it seems like there's always some, at least one person in every family who's hard to buy for. You just can't think of what to get this person. Well, here are some ideas for the hard to buy for person in your life. You could give them the room tidying pickup robot. $69.99 is all it costs. No excitement for that one. Okay. Skydiving. You could give them a skydiving package. This is actually out there. The White Wright Company for $269.99. There's a gift. Okay, think of that one. Now, these are actually legit things. This, This one's on eBay. An acre on the planet Mars. Lunar Federation Incorporated, for $29.99, you can get an acre on Mars. Pretty good price. Hmm. I'd like to buy one just to see what you get, you know. Now, this one I would love. Terry's not at this service. No. Um, I want to get this and use it on Terry. It's the remote-controlled bug. Terry hates bugs. She freaks out with bugs. I could have a blast with this thing. Okay, and then there's always the magic wand remote control. Fancy yourself as a wizard but can't seem to find your invitation to Hogwarts? Well, get yourself one of these amazing magic wand remote controls and consider yourself invited. This authentic-looking magic wand doubles up as a universal remote that gives you the enchanting power to take control of any television, music center, DVD player, or anything that uses an infrared remote control system, and all with a swish of your wand. You can get that one for $89.99. Now, this is my all-time favorite. If you just don't know what to give somebody, you can give them the Willie Robertson Chia Beard. Just $29, oh, it's all yours. <laughs> okay. okay, so there you go. Some ideas for that person that's hard to buy for. Well, today we're going to look at the part of the Christmas story about the wise men and the gifts that they bring the baby Jesus. It's told by the Apostle Matthew. There are only a handful of Bible passages that speak of Christ being given anything. There was that time in, in, uh, in the book of Luke when a sinful woman came to the dining room where Jesus was eating with some, some of the disciples and some Pharisees. And uh, this woman came in, a sinful woman. She broke an alabaster jar full of expensive perfume and wiped his feet with her tears in the perfume. The Pharisees were incensed that he could allow even a woman to even touch him. Such a woman as this, okay? A similar story. Mary, the sister of Martha, anoints Jesus with nard. And Judas gets really uptight about this. He's saying, you you could have sold that nard and given the money to the poor. He's all messed up about it. In both those cases, the Pharisees and Judas resented that Christ was given anything. There was a time when a little boy gave Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish. And he multiplied those and fed everybody. Another time, Jesus was given a colt. He got on this colt and rode into Jerusalem. And don't forget another thing he was given. Cruelty. Harsh cruelty. He was given the abuse through a kangaroo court in the middle of the night. Insults. 
vicious beating. He was given the mockery of kingship, his kingship. They mocked it, gave him a crown of thorns. He was given death on a cross when he was completely innocent. Christ was not given much by many people, yet in these gifts of the wise men, we find a couple of incredible principles. Let me read the story in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time the the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. Yeah, right. (laughs) After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God had been silent for 400 years. We knew because we were listening, in a sense. My job, my job is to listen. You wouldn't call a person that talks a lot a wise man, would you? No, you'd call them many, many, many things, but a wise man wouldn't be one of them. My position is to look for signs everywhere. A star, for example. I can look at a star and watch it and wait and see what the star is trying to tell us. I read one time of a star that would announce a new king. And then one day, there it was, a beacon in the night, a star like, unlike any other star I'd ever seen before. And so I followed it. Several of us, we followed this star. It was bizarre. The star would lead, it would move, and we would follow. Our journey took two years, and it led us to Judea. And then the star stopped. It just stopped. Shining down over this small cottage, our journey ended not at a palace for a king, 
but at a home for a peasant. This was it. I mean, we gathered our thoughts, we gathered our gifts, we did all that we could do to contain our emotion. And behind those doors was a new king. A king that could command the stars in the sky and yet chose to dwell among us. A king that spoke and the word became flesh. God was finished being silent. That night we knelt we bowed down before this baby boy and each one of us laid gifts at his feet. We had to, we couldn't help it. 400 years of silence broken by the cries of the Son of God. Why were these wise men, these magi from the east, why were they arriving in Jerusalem now? This was about two years after the birth of Jesus. The evidence of that is that Herod had all the children two years or younger killed. Another thing, he's no longer in a stable. He's in a house now. And the word child in the text indicates that he's no longer a baby. Perhaps Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem because the rumor mill was just a little too strong in Nazareth. After all, they were simply an immoral couple. She was pregnant before they were married. There's some legend around these magi. We have in mind that there were three of them because of the gifts, three gifts. It said their names were Gaspar, Melchior, and Balasazar. There's no evidence of that in Scripture. Nothing that backs that up in the Bible. However, these wise men could have been maybe like you and me today. See, they knew a lot of things. But they were still left empty in their search. They owned a lot of stuff. They were wealthy people. Yet something was still missing. They knew a lot of people, but did they really have fulfilling relationships? Like when, you know, by some standards, you and I can have everything and yet feel like we don't have much of anything. That's these guys. You must understand that these wise men had been around for a long time. People like these guys for centuries. They, they were in, in four great civilizations of Middle Eastern history. The Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. They had been around. The Magi were high-ranking officials due to their wisdom, their knowledge, their occultic abilities. They believed a 6th century leader who taught of a single God. That was very unique back then because most civilizations believed in multiple gods. But now this guy's teaching about one God. The wise, they're called wise men because they were the most well-educated people throughout history. 
They were familiar with the writings of Socrates and the teachings of Plato. They were astrologers, astronomers, physicians. They could most likely read Egyptian hieroglyphics. These men knew all about Greek mythology. They had witnessed the Romans build their pantheon. But they were also familiar with the Jewish Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Yet they just kept searching, kept searching. They were searching ancient scriptures and stars in heaven for something more. Ask yourself this question. Am I searching for more? Does there seem to be more out there? When I read my Bible, am I searching? When I pray, am I searching? What would it be like to experience this Christmas as if it were the first Christmas? What would that be like? What did people go through back then? Well, I want to talk about two things basically today. Two things about the gifts of these wise men. First of all, the gifts of the wise men teach us that we give our worship to what we treasure. We give our worship to whatever we treasure. Notice in verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. The word worship here means worthship. Worthship. It's how much it's worth. You will never worship what you do not treasure. You'll never be able to worship what you do not treasure. And, and here's a danger in that. You can be in close proximity of something or someone and not worship it. So this means you could come to church every Sunday and never worship Jesus if you don't treasure him. You can memorize the words of Jesus but never worship him if you don't treasure him. You can give token amounts of money, time, or other resources, but not worship Christ if you don't treasure him. Make no mistake about it. You worship every day in every way, somehow. You remember what the first of the Ten Commandments is? You shall have no other gods before me. You know why God made that the first of his top ten list? Because he knew we would have a God. He knew we would worship something or someone. It's undeniable. It's a reality in our lives. Now think about this. These Gentiles, these wise men, they were Gentiles. Okay? They weren't Hebrew people. They were actually the first Christian converts, if you think about it in this way. They had been kingmakers of the East. They knew earthly kings. And now they validate this little two-year-old child as the king of the universe. Anyone ever had a two-year-old? Okay, the terrible twos, right? Now, I'm not saying Jesus was a terrible two kid, but, but he was a two-year-old, and everybody knows two-year-olds. And these guys validate a two-year-old 
to be the Savior of the world. Wow. I don't know if I'd have faith enough to do that. How about you? Especially if it was my two-year-olds when they were two. Woo! (laughs) If you truly treasure something, you will do a lot to worship it. I know some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you get up real early in the morning to go running or hiking or fishing or hunting. What's anybody doing tomorrow? Okay, nothing wrong with those things in perspective. Some of you have done crazy things for your kids, just wild things for your kids. Nothing wrong with doing crazy things for your kids. It's just that your kids don't make very good gods. (laughs) See if this does not describe, in part, the American Christian. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. These wise men were serious about worshiping. The wise men worshiped despite the distance. It took them a long time to get to Jerusalem because they traveled from what is now modern-day Iraq and Iran, a few hundred miles across the desert. But they made the journey despite that distance because they probably knew of this verse tucked away in the Old Testament in Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. J.C. Ryle wrote this. We read of no greater faith than this in all the Bible. No greater faith, he says, in all the Bible. It is a faith that deserves to be placed side by side with that of the penitent thief. Remember the, one of the thieves on the cross. The thief saw Jesus dying, he said, dying the death of a criminal, and yet prayed to him and called him Lord. The wise men saw a child on the lap of a poor woman, and yet they worshipped him and confessed that he was the Christ. Took a lot of faith to do that. The wise men also worshipped despite the difficulty. Can you imagine how hard that trip must have been? All across the desert, horrible. Can you imagine being that long in another country away from your family? I mean, these guys were rich. They were hugely rich. They lived large. They had nice homes. They had servants. They lived the life. Yet, they made this journey. Why are you here? Why did you come? Because you felt it was worth giving honor and glory to the Son of God. Now, I know we come and have a good time with each other and visiting and all that. Sometimes we even feel like we earned some brownie points with God because we showed up at church. But we really come to give honor to Jesus Christ. We come in His name. If it wasn't for Jesus, this place wouldn't exist. Some churchgoers have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward worshiping God. In America today, I think the biggest cult is the cult of comfortable. You know how it goes. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be disturbed. The weather's not quite right for me. I'm staying home. I have some guests in town. I don't want to inconvenience them and make them go to church. That'd be awful. 
could be some other problem, whatever. They just don't seem to be able to make it to worship. I don't know. I, I just think it's a privilege to be here to worship, no matter what's going on in my life. In fact, the worse it is, the more reason for me to be here. So the wise men worshiped for many reasons. One more is that they worshiped despite the danger. Danger didn't stop them. Go back to the story. Herod the Great, as he was called, must have really been upset when these wise men showed up. I almost called them the wise guys. I told Gary to come up as a wise man. He said he's a wise guy. And I know that's true. (laughs) Me too, Gary. So here's Herod. It took a lot to get in his position. He was put in power by Octavian, otherwise known as Caesar Augustus, back in 40 B.C. He drove people out of the territory and set up the kingdom. Now, he married this Edomite, an, an Edomite woman. And that, that wasn't Jewish or Hebrew exactly, but it was pretty close. Pharisees didn't consider him a Jew at all. But the Romans were okay, so they let him control the area. So when the wise men and their entourage came into Jerusalem asking for the king of the Jews, well, that made him a bit nervous. The Romans drove out the Persians, and now this army comes in. Wise men with probably a thousand of the finest Persian war horses and soldiers and servants and others looking for a king. No wonder Herod was nervous. No wonder he had boys two years and younger killed. He rebuilt the temple to appease the Jews. But now... When this thing started, he became a murderous monster of a man. This guy was so disliked, so hated. According to the historian Josephus, Herod prearranged for well-liked citizens to be killed at his death to guarantee that people would be mourning on that day. Nobody was going to be sad that Herod died, so he had some other people killed. So, well, at least they'll be sad for them, and it'll sound like it's for me too. Wow. So, there it is. We, we give our worship to what we treasure. One more thing, the second thing. We give our treasure to what we worship. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. If you truly worship that which you treasure, then you can't help but give your treasure to what you worship. It just kind of works that way. You don't have one without the other. And bear this in mind as you give gifts. A good gift is always planned. These guys knew exactly what to bring. A good gift is always personal. They knew who they were bringing it to. And a good gift is always personal purposeful. They knew exactly why they were giving these gifts. And what crazy gifts to bring to a baby shower or a two-year-old birthday party. What are these gifts? What do they represent? And what's their significance? Let's go through them. The first one, gold. That's a gift for a king. They gave this child gold. Presented to a king. It's the most precious metal of that day. In biblical times and today, it's associated with royalty. 
When these wise men came to Jesus and presented him with gold, they were saying, he is a king. Not just a king, he was the king of kings. They had most likely learned that the baby was born to be a king, and they learned that probably through the prophet Daniel. Daniel was a young prophet carried away to Babylon during the exile, and and this was 600 years before the birth of Christ. In the book of Daniel, it says, Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, a time period. So they were studying these scriptures. They knew something was going to happen. Jesus now grew up poor. There's no indication in Scripture that he really owned anything. We worship, basically, a homeless man. He was a homeless man while he was on earth. So maybe this gold was to fund some of Christ's ministry. Remember, Judas was their treasurer. Why would they need that unless there were some significant funds So maybe they used it for that. Pure gold is one of the most valuable of all minerals. It's considered to be forever unchangeable. It's the very symbol of riches and wealth. And listen what's recorded in Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Gold refers to our heart. That's another symbolic reason it was used. So giving gold to the Lord is giving everything to God. Everything. So can I ask you this? What has Jesus cost you? If he hasn't cost you much, then maybe he isn't really worth that much to you. Think about it. The people, the the things, the hobbies that you revere. Remember that saying, we worship our work. We work at our play. We play at our worship. What treasure have you given to the king? What have you given your quote-unquote gold, your heart, to the king? What, what, What have you given? The second gift was frankincense. This is a gift for a priest. A priest would receive frankincense. What is it? Well, it's a resin. It had a sweet smell to it. Trees in Arabia had this resin in it. They were cut and they'd get the frankincense out of it. In fact, in Exodus chapter 30, there's directions for how to make an anointing oil from this sweet resin and how to make powder with frankincense that was used in the tabernacle and in the temple. See, what they would do, they would put this aroma, this perfume into the fire, the, the holy fire in the temple. And the frankincense would hit the fire and this white billow of smoke would go up. It was quite a show. As our priest, Jesus went one step better, quite a big step better. See, the priest every day, twice a day, would make sacrifices for the people. Even more sacrifices on the Sabbath and on festivals. For the priest, keeping people right with God was a non-stop activity. They always had to do it. But Christ is not like the old priest. 
The letter to the Hebrews says this, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. There's no need to do all those animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus is the sacrifice. And this fragrant smell with the old priest, it, it would permeate their clothes. It would kind of just be all around them. It would go before them. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to smell like him. You should smell metaphorically speaking, like Jesus. Listen to this. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. That cloud, that aroma, rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. That's those who believe and those who don't believe. Have you noticed when Christians get together, man, we smell good together. We have a good old time, right? But listen to the news about anything Christian. We stinketh. Don't we? I mean, you hear people talk about Christians who don't believe. We stink to high heaven. I love to be around a campfire. And you can tell when somebody's been near a fire. It just kind of gets on them, right? So what smell sticks on you? Do people smell Jesus on you? Think about it. The third gift was myrrh. This is a gift for a sacrifice. What was myrrh? Well, it's a gum-like substance, very valuable. It was also from trees in Arabia. The trees were cut. This gum stuff would come out of it. It was a fragrant spice. And it was used to embalm the dead. Can you imagine bringing a two-year-old something that would be used to embalm the dead at the birthday party? Here's your gift. Wow. It'd be like going to the kid's birthday party and handing the parents a, a prepaid funeral plan for their son. Wow. Why did they get this kind of gift? It's because not only did they recognize his kingship, not only did they recognize his priesthood, they recognized his sacrificial death. This little boy was born to die. That was his purpose, to die. How do they know? Well, that passage of Daniel continues. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed appearing to have accomplished nothing. That exact thing happened. He died on the cross. They threw him in the tomb, and, well, he had us fooled. Nothing happened. Another interesting thing. Mark documented another use for myrrh. Jesus was on the cross, and... Uh, he had said a few things, and I imagine people were starting to wonder, did, did we make a mistake? Oops. <laughs> and somebody tried to give him something. It says in Mark, they tried to give Jesus wine mixed with a drug called myrrh. 
but he wouldn't take it. Myrrh was used as a narcotic to dull pain, but so that Jesus might taste the full extent of pain and suffering for everyone, he refused to take the myrrh. What a complete, perfect sacrifice. He wanted to know he was going all the way for you and me and feel every bit of that pain. He wasn't about to mask it with some drug. So what do we take away from all of this? Amid the significance that we learn from the gold and frankincense and myrrh, we also learn that Jesus regifted. That's right. Jesus was the original regifter because he took these gifts, he rewrapped them, and he gave them back to all of us. Listen to this. Jesus took the gold and he gave us eternal life. It never perishes. It never perishes. He took the frankincense and gave us his fragrance. His spirit is in and on us. We smell like Jesus. And he took the myrrh and he gave us forgiveness of sins through his death. He's a regifter. And guys, it's it's Christmas time. So would you receive this gift from Jesus? An eternal, fragrant, forgiven life. Receive it. Either for the first time or remind yourself, let it remind you that you received this gift from Jesus. What a gift. You can't outgive him. Is anybody going to work harder than that? Suffer more than that to give a gift? I don't care what you spend. You can't beat that gift. And he's offering it to everyone right now, anytime. The free gift of salvation, a fragrant life, an eternal life with him in heaven. Never have to worry about dying for good. You may go through a death process, but that's just ending one stage and moving to the next. So pray with me. God Almighty, you are so awesome to leave your glory in heaven, leave your throne, and come to earth as a baby boy, as the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for doing that, God. And Lord, I thank you that you gave us these gifts. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn your favor, to earn your salvation. You gave it as a free gift. And I guess, in a way, maybe we do have to do something, and that is receive it. So help us to ask you into our hearts. If it's the first time, let us do that and and sense your presence in our lives and sense the change you've, you've started right at that moment. And if we've already done that, God, let us be filled up anew, fresh. And Lord, let this Christmas, let this Christmas have a a sense of first time to it. 
like those people. The first time this happened, God, all that anticipation and, and all that wonderment, what must have been going through their minds? Let us ponder like Mary pondered. Let us think of you. Let us think of things above and not worry so much about things below. And we thank you, God, for the greatest Christmas present anyone could have ever dreamed of, yourself. And it's in your name we pray, and all of God's people will say, Amen. God bless you guys.